Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So today I'm going to re-interview Natalie Ohayan. 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 And I loved our interview and I wanted to make sure we hit on some of those same points. But I've had a few times either the internet dropped or I deleted something. So I've had to redo a few, but I found it was more fun the second time because more stories came to be. Um, because the last time we lost the internet, and so when I listened to it before we actually like put it up on iTunes, it ended with me saying, where'd she go? And that was going to be the end. You were mid-sentence and then it was like dead air. So we get to start over. And I, um, you were telling me about your dance studio and I loved how passionate you are about teaching and about the kids that you teach. And there's just something really beautiful when you have this longevity as a dancer and as a teacher and studio owner that I think some people can burn out, but it seems like you are just as passionate about dance now as when you were younger. Absolutely. And last we spoke, we were in quarantine, like I'm in the US, we will be in quarantine forever the way we're going. So we look at you and go, oh my gosh, they're like getting to open up and do things. And so it was really fun after talking to you and seeing how much you love dance that you sent me some pictures of, of your kids dancing and you sent me pictures of you dancing. And I, I don't know if I can ask how old you are, but I'm assuming. I'll be 52 on Friday. Um, and you move like a 20 year old. That's when I looked at that. I go, I cannot believe that because you just move so beautifully. So I think it's, you know, can see you as a teacher and a dancer that that part is still so alive. Yes. So what was that like for you and for the kids coming back into the studio after being away for so long? Uh, it was so many emotions. It was frightening. It was joyful. It was, uh, yeah, there was a, a underlying bubbles of anxiety in every child that walked through and parent. A lot of my younger students, um, they didn't come back in, under five that is. So those classes have been very skeleton, um, mainly because the parents, you know, they're worried um, mm -hmm. and rightly so, and they wanted to keep their children safe. So, um, and generally when they're under five years of age, we're not doing a lot of technical work. So, um, then, you know, the parents, we had to limit it to one parent to, per child because I would have no more than 10 under five-year-olds per class normally. And that, that was down to about two or three kids per class. Um, so that was where, you know, a lot of the students didn't come back in, the tiny ones, but over five, uh, those kids just about blew my doors apart to get back into the studio. Um, because we'd been in constant contact, of course, we were, you know, we were Zooming and we had another app from the band that we would just, I would play games with the kids, you know, um, fastest finger, you know, texting, who can guess the right questions, just things like that, because we were all like, at a, you know, what are we doing? It's like, everyone was like, Ugh. so of course, when we could slowly come back into the studio, I'm very fortunate that I've only got the one studio floor. I don't have, say, four different studios in the one building. I just have one great big studio. I've only ever had at the most 20 children per class. So that was our initial uh, phase in the phases that we could come back in. We could have no more than 20 children or 20 people per uh, building and, you know, plus the teacher. And then we still had the social distancing. So that's how we started with all the crosses on the floor, came back into that um, and said all the children that are over five, they would, you know, all the dancers were just so happy to be back in there. It was um, trying not to hug each other and, you know, wiping the tears from our eyes and just being so excited. And the kids, as it, normally they would be like, ow, that hurts me, isn't it? This time they're like, yes, I can feel my muscles. And, you know, they were like, I can freely I'm no longer confined to this tiny little room in my house or you know my, none of my siblings are going to walk in while I'm trying to do my ballet class or you know they're like that relief of back being back in their studio 
um, being able to move around and dance and feel and just be back in our lovely little bubble. Um, and then slowly the restrictions have been lifted so that we, we can now, at the end of the year, we can hold our concert, uh, which is so exciting. But again, we've changed the theme. Originally it was Broadway. We have a theme each year that we do our concert to. Of course, we can't get costumes. So we've changed the whole theme to um, isolation, dancing in isolation of 2020. How did we deal with that? What came out of it? What did we learn? What music got us through? Um, so it's a completely different feel this year. Um, but the kids have been amazing, but also the anxiety that they went through was something that I did not anticipate. Um, and learning how to get them through that. I spoke to them, I think, you know, I think I told you about the monkeys in your brain was how I teach the kids to deal with it, you know, anxiety sometimes. I say, you know, imagine all those crazy monkeys at the zoo running around and they're all flinging poo and they're, you know, throwing bananas everywhere and they're just being really, really naughty and they're running around in your head. And that's, kids can relate to that because they know monkeys can be really naughty and they can, you know, run around stupid screaming and I go, how do you, how do you control your monkeys? And I'm like, you sit them down, you feed them a banana. And immediately they go, oh, because they can visualize and they can see that if I give my monkeys a banana, they're just going to sit quietly. And it's amazing the kids learning how to do that. And you can see their little faces just transform into a car. Mm. And then talking about let's now let's try and move our bodies around you know what are some of the emotions that you felt can you express those um through dance and, and that's been really interesting because the kids are finding these new ways that their bodies are moving because they're it's like they're coming out of being in a cocoon and it's like you know they're like, like little butterflies almost they're just about ready to fly um but they're still a little bit you know, it's a trepidation there. There's, there's still a little bit scared. Yeah. But generally, we're almost, you know, back to normal, really, which is amazing being one of the most isolated cities in the world. Um, and, you know, we were always sort of given a hard time about being in Perth, Western Australia, um, so far away from anything in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now, look at us. I mean, you know, we've got... I think six active cases or maybe less, you know, we've, we've done remarkably well, but our premier, he's closed the borders and things like that. So um, we've been very fortunate and we're all pretty proud of the fact that we all play by the rules as well. You know, I'm still checking the kids' temperatures when they come in. We're still sanitising, we're still cleaning. Um, so everyone is still, you know, we're not complacent at all. We're very still, you know, like I said, we're a bit tripping. We're going out there slowly. Yeah. yeah, I think there's an interesting mix of being so happy to be in there, but still, like, mm -hmm. we, we're just bad. I don't know. I feel like there's so much to process, and that's so beautiful. And I know that monkey um, illustration was for little ones, but when you sent me that, I was like, oh, that works for my 60-year-old brain. Like, yeah. okay, the monkeys are throwing poo yes. like every day, and I'm thinking that when kids are trying to process that, I think that's, that's such a fun, playful Mm. way to look at it and, and I love that you let them like use their bodies to process like because I think they're I mean those words like isolation and loneliness and frustration and having something taken away that means so much of how kids process and how they socialize yeah so I'm curious about your upbringing with dance like because you have this definite gift for working with younger ones what was your dance experience and when did you start and were there monkeys involved <laughs> yes uh no i as a two-year-old i distinctly remember telling my mother right that's it i'm going to be a professional dancer and you need to take me to dance class because i'm going to work all over the world and i'm going to work in paris so let's go <laughs> um, and she remembers i was quite bossy um in, the, in that i was like right this is what my life plan is and let's start now i'm two take me to dance class <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> really have an option um, and I'm always amazed that people didn't know what they were meant to do in life you know even as an adult I still meet people and I'm like what did you want to be when you grow up you know and they're like I don't know and I'm like what do you mean I always had a very clear vision and idea and I knew that I had 
to work very hard to get there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to fall in my lap. But um, no, I started classes at two. And by the age of five, I was doing jazz, tap, classical ballet and acrobats. So I was full on. Um, and I was fortunate to be offered scholarships throughout my schooling as well. So um, in my primary years, I got offered to go to a lovely school that had a beautiful ballet teacher there. So that was part of my education as well. And then I went to um, another school for high school that had the ballet program. So I was always, you know, really, <coughs> excuse me, lucky that I had so many classes offered to me. Um, and, and it just, you know, it all fit into the plan that I had, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to picture my children or any other children at two years old knowing anything they wanted besides like a, a doll, not, not that they're going to go dance in Paris. So there you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's so unique. I know. And when I speak to my students now, the two year olds, and I say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, yes. Nobody ever says to me, oh, well, I'm going to, but, you know, a couple of them say I wanted to be a ballerina. Um, but, you know, they're not really specific the way that I was, you know, bang, 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 you know, like. Had you, so how did you even know about dancers in Paris? Like, how I does it, no idea. You? <laughs> I have no idea. And, and that's why I always ask my mom, how did I even know what Paris was as a two-year-old? And she said, I don't know, maybe you came through, you know, from a past life or something and you had this memory and who knows? Um, yeah, she just found it quite amusing. <laughs> um, my brother was the same. He, he, was, he said at the age of two he was going to join the Navy and um, travel the world. So he, he followed through with that as well. So, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Something so, my mother had in her pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These kids know what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have opening a studio in your vision as a younger person because I know you your story is pretty amazing that way of how young you were when you opened it but was that something that you were determined that was going to be in your life too I knew I wanted to be a dance teacher after I'd had a dance career um however when I was 14 and I was lucky enough to have a scholarship with the West Australian Ballet Youth Program when I was 14 <coughs> excuse me I shot up to five foot ten at 15 wow at 14, actually. Um, so they politely told me I was too tall to be a ballerina. Um, so they no longer really wanted me in the program because that was it. Ballerinas are not five foot ten. So that broke my heart. Um, almost made me quit, actually. I was just devastated. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, all this I've worked for. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll get my teaching certificates. I'll keep dancing. I'll get my uh, certificate in, in, um, in, you know, teaching. So I was teaching part-time. So I thought, well, that, that's easy, you know, because I started working very young uh, as an assistant teacher. So I was like, well, this is, this is easy. You know, I can teach dancing. It's, it's like, it's good fun, you know, and I was <laughs> all the time so I ended up getting all my teacher certificates by the age of um, 15 and a half 16 and then I opened up my own dance school um, because I figured I was too young to work professionally yet I couldn't take any overseas contracts or anything like that I wasn't quite old enough at 15 and a half 16 so I opened up my own dance school in a country town and I had over 500 students and I put them all through a Royal Academy of Dance exams and the CSCOD um, and I passed them all through these exams. So that was my very first dance school <coughs> at such a young age. But again, I just, you know, it was, it was a lot of hard work, but I absolutely loved it. Um, but I also knew that, I needed to get, you know, I needed to get on stage because I didn't want to have a career as a dance teacher so young yeah. and that would be it. I was worried that if I, I could have stayed and made that dance school, you know, f thrive for decades. So but when I you're, knew I had to get some, get on stage again. You know, so, cause I'm thinking like, what I knew because there wasn't internet, there wasn't YouTube. 
I only mm-hmm. knew what was, you know, like I'd seen in movies. I think like Chorus Line was really big when I was yes. getting, but what, were there things that you go, okay, that might be my path because ballet, the door was already closed. So did you kind of have to search for it or how did you, because yeah. again, Toledo is not a, not a normal path. <laughs> no. no, so um, there was a little sh- show, <coughs> excuse me, I'll go real froggy my throat today. Um, I think, again, you know, growing up watching all those musicals um, and all that beautiful, the costumes and everything on, in all the musicals that I grew up watching every Sunday, um, that, that was so appealing, you know, that whole fantasy, stunning. <coughs> oh, excuse me. You get the some whole, water. Yeah, I've got some. Mm. Okay. I'll just distract us and uh, there we go. <laughs> The musicals, yeah. So make sure you go ahead and take a little time to breathe and um, mm. super important. <laughs> Breathing, yes. as we know. <laughs> um, and then there was a few little shows here and there in Perth that had like a cabaret style. Um, so I remember seeing those, but then I was also working um, in nightclubs and stuff like that from the age of 14 doing oh shows. My- yeah. So- <coughs> When I was 14, 15, <clears throat> I started work in the drag shows. <laughs> yeah, so I was 15 when I started working up at um, the gay club here in Perth and it's called Connections. It's still here. So the drag queens basically taught me how to do my makeup, um, how to perform on stage. So the, the first show we did was La Cage au Fall. Um, and I distinctly remember being like, oh, okay, you know, backstage. Was, oh, this is, oh, okay, this is an eye-opener, but <laughs> so much. It was just gorgeous. Um, so then eventually that led to me auditioning for different shows around town. And then that led me auditioning for um, a woman that had an ad in the paper. And it was for a show overseas, cabaret show. So I would, of course, I rang her up and said, I'd love to come for the audition. And she said, come along. So off I went and it was in her kitchen and she was breastfeeding her very young baby. So in the kitchen, um, (laughs) gorgeous woman who was like, right, do this, do this, do that. You know, just, I want to see you in your leotard and your tights and your heels and dance for me in my kitchen. I'm like, it's a tiny little space. Okay. She's with her little bub, you know, her breastfeeding baby. So out of that, I got my first contract to Japan, um, which, you know, I think I was 17 at the time. So that was a six-month contract. During that contract, she would send me a letter saying, would you like to work in Paris? And I, of course, went, oh, well, yes, of course. That's what I'm meant to do, you know. It's age two. Of course, yeah, you know, that, that works. That's in my plan. So when I returned from Japan, I'd already sent off my my headshots and my photos and my the VHS recording of me dancing. <laughs> I sent that to the Lido and they said, come on over. So the following year I was there. I arrived all by my little self. Um, had never been to Europe before. I was 18 years of age. Wow. Uh, yeah, rocked up. <clears throat> excuse me, to the Champs-Élysées and sat there in the cafe next to a poodle and went, whoa, this is surreal. This is bizarre. <laughs> Here I am. A poodle, just like you are in Paris now. Of yeah. all the, oh, okay, the how French is that? What a cliche. So uh, I was sitting, I went and I had a look, you know, in that corridor of the Lido. And I'm looking at all the pictures and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, they're they're, they're going to tell me to go home. They're going to say, you're not at all what we're looking for um, because you look at these girls and they're all these glamazons and they're stunning. Um, and I was like, no, that's not me. You know, I'm just this little thing from Perth and that's, that's not quite, yeah. So when I, my, and another Australian girl came to pick me up who we're still very good friends now. So I eventually took over her apartment. Um, 
And that was the other thing I touched on briefly, uh, the way that as gypsies, you know, as dancers, we traveled the world, we would always look out for each other. Um, you know, you go to country to country or within one country and you'd leave behind things for the next dancer. There would be books, yeah. there'd, be books there'd be all your cooking. You wouldn't have to worry about anything because we all took care of each other along the way. So Linda took care of me. And the next day I had to go in for rehearsals and to meet um, you know, the ballet master, basically a, li a live audition. So I was the shortest one in the lineup. There was um, a, girl from London, a girl from England, a girl from Germany and from America. And I was the shortest at five foot 10. And these girls were just stunning, you know, and I was like, oh my goodness, they're really gonna send me home. <laughs> so turns out my technique was pretty good. So um, I was probably one of the better trained dancers in that lineup. Anyway, they kept all of us. Um, so then when we started, you know, rehearsing the show, I was still, you know, uh, freaking out and, and watching the show and you're like, oh my goodness, this is beyond anything I've ever seen, you know. Um, and then getting to know everything backstage and I mean, finally getting on stage and being part of it, it was just surreal. It was like, wow, okay. But then there was also another side of me of like, okay, what am I going to do now? This is it. Like, this was my dream. Yeah. What? I'm, I'm done. At 19 right. years of age, I'm finished. What, what am I going to do? Like, I've achieved my life dream. Um, so there was that part of it as well, as well as like being, wow, this is amazing, you know. There was part of me that was like, oh, what, what, what am I going to do next? <laughs> it's because, I, you know, you, you work so hard to achieve a dream and then, of course I did, and I was still very young. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, the whole the whole thing of like working and living in Paris as a young young child, basically, um, was it was just amazing. Um, and I I met some amazing people. I met some really fantastic people working there that I'm still in contact with this day, mm. um, and that you would bump into like. 10 years down the track when I was working in another show, I ended up working with, I think, three other Aussies that I worked with in Paris at the time. So, yeah, it, it's sort of that, that whole circle of life, you know, that comes around. But, yeah, it was, um, I think I was telling you previously about the, the silly, silly things, <coughs> excuse me, that happened on stage. Um, like the rocking chair. Yes, please tell that one. Hmm. So it's this very glamorous set that comes from, you know, up how many levels down, I can't remember, but you're sitting on your set and it comes up, of course, through the ground. And we're on these rocking chairs and it's, so I was in the nude. So, of course, you know, you've got these jewels all over you and this beautiful skirt and this fabulous wig and tiaras and you're just all bedazzled. And so we're rocking on the chair back and forth as we're coming up. That's our intro. And of course, I'm right at the front on this little slice of pie, I used to call it. And oil had been dripping on my, on the floor. <coughs> Excuse me. Unbeknown to me. So here I am just about up and I'm rocking away madly and my legs flying and it's all very wonderful. And I love this routine because it's, you know, there's lots of momentum and your body's really loving it. And, legs forever and then all of a sudden I just went splat <laughs> up, tits out wig <laughs> falls off oh my goodness and there's nothing I can do because the chair has flipped I've flipped and I was just looking at the audience going oh my god I'm <laughs> such a and glamorous position to be in yeah and it was just it was so yeah unglamorous and I was just like wow this is you know, this is what happens. <laughs> um, you know, it's so glamorous. And then all of a sudden your ass up. It's just so funny. And How did you recover? Did you have to just... I didn't to move. I just had to wait till the set move went down. <laughs> it was like, just lay there like a, you know, like a, a show girl. 
<laughs> and it goes all the girls behind me are trying not to laugh, you know. Oh, yeah. so funny. Yeah, and then the other one. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, the other one, I think I was telling you before, the um, the camel. The camel's on stage. And, of course, I was one of the first ones on stage in, in the Egyptian number. And so my, my job as one of the first dancers back on stage after the camel's exiting was to kick the camel poo off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> which gets so glamorous again not glamorous at all and those things stunk but they, they were like little pebbles all over the stage and I had to kick them off and of course you know you try to kick them into the sleeping customer you know the client <laughs> that might try to kick it into their drink or oh you know play stuff with these poo oh it was disgusting but yeah it, it was a game it was a game I'm sure there's people that probably took one of those home as a treasure about this beautiful yeah. <laughs> picture of yeah. camel poop. It's yeah, I have no idea what it was, perhaps. I don't know. But yeah. Well, there was uh, you said last time. I kind of want to go in a circle back to the Lido because when you were feeling like you just maybe weren't going to be accepted or were you good enough, you I kind of want to go in this a different way, but like how you did go back to the Lido and saw how amazing and what you felt like, oh my gosh, if I could have told that younger girl what yeah. I know now. Can you share what, like how you, going back and why you went back to the show and what that was like to see the, what you actually were part of it with a different perspective? Yeah, so, oh gosh, it must have been maybe six years ago now. Um, and I hadn't been to Paris since then. Um, so my husband and I went back because um, I think, I can't remember, I think it was his birthday. We went to Florence and London because he's originally from London and then said, you know, I'd love to go back to Paris. I haven't been there for decades. And I would love to go and see the Lido, you know, where I used to work. So we organised that and off I went. Did not... Uh, again, had no idea that I would have these overwhelming flood of emotions hit me sitting there watching the show. Um, it just, I, I burst into tears and I realised that I was actually quite special, you know, to be able to get there at that young age and to be up on that stage, seeing all those beautiful girls again and seeing and then saying to myself, I used to be one of those girls, you know, that was me. And I looked at my husband, I was like, I used to, this is what I used to do. This was my life every night. I was that good. And I said, I didn't yeah. know that. I had no idea. I wish, and I said to him, I wish I could go back and tap myself on the shoulder and whisper in my ear and say, darling, you are good enough and you are fabulous and own it and be it instead of, you know, being that always worried I was going to, you know, say, you're an imposter, go home, you know. <laughs> there was that feeling. But, yeah, just to be able to, I wish I could have just, you know, said to my 18, 19-year-old self, you know, you deserve to be here, you worked hard, yeah, um, yeah. you know, instead of being that insecure little, you know, I don't belong on this stage with all these beautiful girls, you know. And it's an actual fact I did. Um, but I didn't at the time, of course. But I wonder... I wonder now how many others felt like that, you know? I don't know. Well, I that's why I wanted to come back to that because when you told me that before, it made me tear up a little bit. Because at the reunion I went to for Hello Hollywood, um, yeah. the one I was in, it, to see like the video and hear the stories, I was really emotional to go. I didn't think I could understand what a privilege that was to be in that. And I think it, to see it older, I think a lot of us probably are like, Maybe we shouldn't have known. Maybe we would have been just total egomaniacs if we'd known how beautiful and talented we were. <laughs> Maybe this nice and non-competitive, but there, there is something of seeing yourself going back to that part to say, honey, you had this. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I'm, maybe that's why you're such a good teacher too with your kids is like how sometimes they need that stuff now and not when they're 50 something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's it's so it's so beautiful to get to go back and see because a lot of the shows are gone like the Lido and Monroe. There's a lot of us, you know, wherever we work, those shows are all gone. So there is something of getting to go see it in Paris and to be in the actual yeah. stage that you were on. 
Um, yes. what, so what, how long did you stay in that show? I only did um, the one year and, and then I ended up going back to um, Japan and I worked in Japan a lot and Singapore and the Philippines. So I was mainly traveling around Asia doing that circuit. Um, was that with Bluebell? Was you a Bluebell dancer or was that no. separate? No, that was separate. Um, that was with the lady that originally sent me the breastfeeding in the, that, the, that <laughs> lady. She, she basically was my manager for my whole career. Um, and she looked after me. Um, and I, I just loved Japan. I fell in love with Japan. Um, so I, I loved working there. I think I worked there for six years straight, you know, having one month off. And they were hardcore shows, you know, they would, sometimes we do up to four shows a day um, with no break for two months. Um, I absolutely loved it though. Absolutely. Were they the, the kind of showgirl feather kind yes. of production? Yeah. Um, on a much smaller scale, of course, but yeah, we still had all the, you know, the, all the lovely, gorgeous costumes, um, you know, the big feathers. So by then, you know, I knew how to walk in my heels and I knew because I'd worked at the Lido, I knew, I had all this experience, so I was a dance captain for those years. Um, and I, yeah, I just loved that whole part. Uh, but, you know, being able to work every night as well, but in this gorgeous country. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved working there. So I was quite attached to Japan for a long time. So, um, but That's then I did a show in Queensland, which is where, again, I met a lot of the girls that I'd worked with at the Lido were there so that was that was a full circle it's such a because to travel but to get to get paid to do it and do what you do and then get to stay somewhere long enough to really feel part of it instead of just you're not just a you know short time just hang out with your friends like if you can actually like really be part of the culture that's like you can't replace that with any amount of book learning you just being there you're gonna Absolutely. I mean, I, I was quite fluent in Japanese by the time I left, yet I'd never had a list, lesson. Um, mm. I can't read or write Japanese, but I can speak it pretty well. Um, and that was just because we lived there and we immersed ourselves in that life. So interesting when my were in primary school, they had to learn Japanese and, and I was talking to them about their teacher and they said, oh, no, she knows you. She worked in Japan with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah she was another you know in, yeah another you know small sort of part of the connection it was like she actually did used to work in japan uh, as a dancer as well so i was like oh my goodness i know your teacher and they're like yeah she knows you i was like wow oh my small world <laughs> yeah crazy so today today is the 6th of july we still have there's still fireworks going out outside my window so oh. if you hear it sounds like gunshots i'm totally fine it's just my neighbors shooting off explosions <laughs> wow. so you sent me a picture of your daughter and you out in front of the lido yes. um was that the same trip that you went back and and with your husband or was that a different trip oh, yeah, that was a different one um that was two years ago um because you know she i obviously I, i've taught her since she was two and um, she said she wanted to work in Paris. And I was like, well, you know what? I can take you to okay. have a look. Because I wish, you know, if somebody had taken me at a younger age, I would have had a much better idea of what I was getting myself into. Um, had she seen, like, pictures or video of you to know what that yeah. was like? She, yeah. she got to get, like, a real idea of what it was. Yes. So when we got... I took her to Paris before she turned 12 because, you know, when they're 12, you have to pay adult fare. So <laughs> off we went and she, yeah, I took her to the Lido and um, my friend Karina Burgess, who was the Lido principal there for a while, her daughter, Savannah. Savannah, I've interviewed them together. This is this whole fun overlap. Yeah. Oh. So Savannah was um, in the lead that night, I think. She was playing principal. So we'd organised with uh, Ruby and Savannah to meet backstage. So Ruby was, you know, watching this show and she's like holding onto my arm and she's going, Mom, and I'm like, I know, I know. And she's like, oh, she was so excited. And then she's like, oh, they're on point, they're doing tap. And then she's like, oh, they're doing jazz and they're doing, and she's like, I know all 
all these techniques. Oh. So I know, oh my gosh, they're real dancers every night. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you can do. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, you know, you hear me about it, but to actually see it, completely different. So um, Savannah and Ruby met backstage and I've got a beautiful photo of them at halftime. Oh, well, not halftime. I think it may have been halftime. Um, yeah. And Ruby was, you know, still quite little then. And Savannah's is a gorgeous creature. She's just stunning absolutely beautifully trained as well her mother taught her mm. um, so yeah that was a lovely um you know again one of those moments in life where you go oh gosh you know second generation yeah. um how stunning and then ruby was like oh i want to work here one day she's since changed her mind she's not sure what she wants to do but i said yeah you do whatever you want you know it's, you don't well, have to do no there's an option out there because i feel like that's oh, right. You're too tall. Is she going to be tall like you? Is she going to be? Yeah, she's already um, five foot nine. Oh, yeah. That ballet probably not. Yeah. I feel like ballet taller. She'll, she'll be 13 next week. So I think she'll probably hit. I think she'll hit six foot. She's oh. hoping. <laughs> yeah. She's hoping she does. Yeah. Well, it's like a when girls when you're too tall too soon that we a lot of girls will try to like slouch or try to be shorter and if it's hard to be taller than the boys but like to get to see like her mom to, and to have dance to make and let the height be a beautiful thing instead of a deterrent because just to be told you're too you're too tall for this your legs are too short for that like i feel like there's nothing you can do about your leg length and your height but to get to see like that statuesque like no celebrate that that height and those legs and don't hide them yeah. and don't don't shrink yourself no and that's really important because you know in her ballet program at her school she is a giant you know many of her friends are up to her belly button and oh. <laughs> yeah, so you know she does she stands you know quite regal she's got beautiful posture um which is great because when whenever we go uh, anyway, she's just trying to be as tall as me now. So she's constantly stretching herself. <laughs> That's so she's good. Like, She'll learn how to yeah. live in that line and yeah. lift her head. Be proud. Yeah, so she likes to call me shorty. So, <laughs> which is fun. But yeah, she's you know, constantly trying to pull herself up to be as tall as me, which is really nice. Instead of the opposite of going, you know, oh, I'm tall and I don't like it. But no, it's a, a big thing to be tall in our family. We're, we're trying to outdo each other. <laughs> That's great. Yes. So when you decide, like, was Japan the, the last of those kind of shows? Like, what, what and how did your, your dance career, not necessarily end, but change? Uh, the last show I did was at, in Queensland at Conrad Jupiter's. Um, so I finished there and finally came back to Perth. And part of it was I really wanted to get a pet because having, you know, traveled and danced around the years for decades, um, you couldn't really settle and get an animal. You know, I think once or twice we inherited a cat, <laughs> but you would leave and then that next group gets the cat. Yes. Um, so it was like, I just felt like I needed to just settle down and find out where I wanted to be and what, you know, what I wanted to do next. So when I did get back to Perth, I sort of played around with hairdressing for a bit. So I did an adult apprenticeship in hairdressing because from being at the Lido and backstage, I learned a lot about wigs and I loved hair pieces and that creative side. So I thought, right, I'm going to have a little break from, obviously I'm not going to work anymore. I'm getting a bit old, you know, all these young kids coming through. I don't think there's not much work for me anymore. So I thought I'd do hairdressing. So I did that and I, that was quite successful. But throughout all that time, I was still teaching. So I would be in the salon during the day and then in the evening I would go teach at maybe six different studios around Perth. Um, and then, of course, I had my children. And I think it's when I had my son, I went, I really want to get back in the studio full-time teaching. So that sort of became the next stage. It just felt very natural to go back into more and more teaching and eventually, you know, sell the salons and get the studio up and running. And, and I did try to 
stopped teaching for a little bit, but the mums gave me such a hard time. Um, <laughs> they were like, please. And so that was really nice because I was like, oh, I must be doing something right. So, um, yeah, so I've been teaching full time since, um, well, my son's 15 this year. So, I mean, I was always teaching part time, but now this is just, I just have my own studio and that's all that it is for me, you know. Um, I taught both my kids to dance through there mm-hmm. and they've you know, had these beautiful life skills. And, you know, as I always say to the mums of the two-year-olds, it's everything an occupational therapist. Which Ruby. Um, everything an occupational therapist would teach a young child to do. Like often when they say in kindergarten they'll say your child needs to go to occupational therapy because they're not crossing their midsection or um you know the left and right brain connectivity and things like that so all these little exercises i do with my little dancers are all you know crossing the midsection and yeah that all these things um so that whole educational part of dance is is what i really love as well but i make it just good fun um I don't do exams. I don't do competitions. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's important um, dances. And I always say to the kids, you know, if you're going to go for an audition to be a professional dancer, they're not going to look at your exam results. They're also not going to look at how many trophies you've got. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should go to the yeah. Lido with a bunch of trophies and say, yeah. yeah. Hire me. I am because I've got all these trophies. <laughs> I have a question though, because you could have had that really successful um, studio at age 16. You mm. could have probably flourished, but yes. what do you think you brought from your experience of being a bluebell and then Japan that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't gotten to do that? Like, what do you think your students oh, have benefited from you getting to do that? Wow. That, that's like a, you know, that whole experience is, is, it just opens your mind, opens your whole world. Um, being on stage, of course, that brings a whole different level of education as well. And being able to teach children, not just dance, but how to have a stage presence, um, how to behave on stage, uh, just, you know, the, the eight points of your staging, your staging is one thing, you know, getting onto a stage and not knowing that. I mean, those things are quite interesting to learn as, a, I mean, quite interesting to teach the children, you know, like I can teach them all the technique, but then how are you going to sell, how are you going to present yourself to the world on stage? Where are you going to get that, you know? pizzazz from or that little tweak of what makes you fabulous um giving him that sort of confidence to be able to you know you know when you're teaching little kids and you say right it's improv and there's a certain age that the kids will go nuts you know they've got no inhibition and they're oh you know the world is my oyster oh yes and and then at some point it stops they become introverted and they're shy and they no longer want to show the world how fabulous they are. You know, mm. I, I want to try and keep that part of them alive for as long as possible. Wow. Because that's, that's what you need basically to get on stage, you know, is that certain, it's, you know, I had a little thing when I was working professionally every night putting my makeup on, I would say I'm a transformer. I don't know if you, you know, a transformer yeah. or the media. Because that's what it felt like. You transformed into a character um, or into, you know, Bluebell or wherever you were working and you became this person. And it doesn't matter how shy or introverted you were off stage. Once you get on stage, all the lights go off inside you and, you know, it's amazing and everything comes out and all that joy and expression and, and, trying to give that to the kids that I teach is, you know, just, it's like, give, give me what, give me what you got. You know how you dance in your bedroom at home, bring that, bring that in and let's see how fabulous we can make you, you know, polish oh. it off and shinier. 
Um, but yeah, that's the, that's one of those things that I always find as a teacher that when does that stop? That mm. that absolutely carefree expression. Just shuts down at some point, and it's like, who did this to you? What happened? Uh, <laughs> Bring it back. Try and pull it back out again. You were so frightened, letting ourselves go in front of other people. Yeah, I remember because my daughter did not dance. She did like a little bit of ballet, but didn't really. She's an artist in another way. Her, she's incredible. But I remember her putting on costumes. We always had that costume box, and yeah. every day was a show. Like I was supposed to be making dinner. Like we're doing the full Lion King. I'm like, the dinner's burning, but we'd have a show. And the neighbor kids, and they were just so like always wanted to be. We had a mattress that was the stage, or it was the hearth. And yes. then like even her saying, "I look wonderful," and she felt beautiful. And then to see like even as much as we tried to encourage and and like really you know help build their confidence they're still they hit that preteen age and they they don't like their body and their face and their friends it's so yeah. hard and you're like but if you have that part that link with dance even if you're mm -hmm. still going to go through it at least there's something that makes you feel like you've got something to offer and i i think it's just hearing how you are with your kids and then Okay, so this is a weird way because we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up in a little bit because I think this what you're offering is so beautiful. Plus, your stories are so unique and fun. Yeah. That's what was so fun to get to interview you again. Like your two-year-old thing, the breastfeeding audition, the ass over yeah. tits was so good. <laughs> but like what you're what you're still giving because I feel like a lot of people when they retire, that's something from their past. But it feels like it's still so connected. So like that part of you of what you would tell that younger part, because I know there's some, some of the younger Lido dancers that are working now that are listening to these and they've been wonderful. Like I've interviewed Savannah and like, yes. I think four or five so far from that show. And I think it's wonderful to know that they're still doing that thing we loved. And they also hear our stories. Like it doesn't mean when you're done that, that you're no longer a dancer. Yeah. So what, what would you say, because I'd heard how beautifully you said it to yourself that you are good enough and you're beautiful, but like to the younger ones listening to this, like any advice that you would give with the perspective of, you know, what it's like to be on both sides of this. Oh gosh. Oh, um, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, just to like, yeah, embrace that, you know, all that training, all that hard work that they've done. And it is with dance. It's, you know, I think, what do they say? It's 45,000 hours or something. It makes you an expert of the one thing that you do. Mm. So we're, we are beyond experts, at, you know, in dance. If you think about it, how many hours of training we do. And it, it, it's always going to be that challenge um, of finding how you can be better. And I think accepting that is, as part of your life as well, that you're never going to get it right. I mean, that's the beauty of dance. It's, it's always going to challenge you on a daily basis. It's going to hurt like hell sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Dark moments where you're like, I don't want to do this. But then, you know, it's so much part of your DNA and it's so much ingrained. And that beautiful training that you've been given and the opportunity to be on stage, you know, fast forward and hopefully you're still within the arts. And it just gives you so much, you know, it, you could just be like playing one little role in this show, but it opens up so much in your world, you know, whether you stay in the arts or not, it, that experience is just, oh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, beyond words really, because it, it just gives you so much, but you don't realise at the time how much it gives you and how much, you know, it can open your world to so many opportunities. <gasps> Oh yeah. There's, there's something I think for all the ladies who are, you know, done with that part of their life, even if I want to challenge all of you listening to imagine tapping yourself on the shoulder at that age and just say like, look how beautiful you are and look at, yes. look at and maybe we can offer that to ourselves now as our bodies aren't doing that. Cause I just think that's such a gift to actually have that perspective. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that we dropped like the last time when the internet went out, but I was, you were my first interview that was somebody I didn't know because I started out with people that I did shows with. So I remember saying that at the yeah. beginning, like my first interview, but I feel like I know you now because that last interview was so much fun. And then I love on Facebook, seeing your post about your studio and that you send me pictures 
Like I mm. don't, I feel like I count you as friend now because that we, we have a past. It wasn't at the same time period, but it was something that was really beautiful of the friendships that Bluebell dancers have, even if we were never in the same country, the same yes. show, have this kinship so that if we have a reunion or all of us bring our daughters and go see a show together, <laughs> just be so fun. Yeah, yeah, with dancers, you know, it's like we're, we're all connected in some way. And we all speak the same language, you know. Um, and that's what I love about dance. And also, you know, you can say to the kids, you can go anywhere in the world and take a ballet class and it's always going to be plié, battement tendu, rond de jambe. You'll be able to do a class anywhere in the world and you'll make friends immediately because you all speak yeah. the language of dance, you know. Mm. And that's, that connects us throughout the world with dance. It's just this beautiful gift. And the friendships you can make, like my dance, I've still got my one of my best friends from when I was two in dance class. You know, she's still one of my very close friends. Does she and want to go at age two? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, she you, were, <laughs> you were no, truly inspirational. Like I just have loved this interview, and I don't know if your if your students will listen to it, but. Um, they're very lucky to have you as a teacher because I know a lot of people can have dance schools and you're just, if it's teaching steps or competition, but to have a teacher that really, cause just hearing how you talked about the kids coming back in, you definitely have a, a love for those kids and helping them process getting, you know, this hard time of isolations There's something that's just uniquely beautiful about that because there's a lot of people that have studios that maybe shouldn't, you know, and there's some people that are actually going to make a change in their student's life that, like, like you said, when they came back, how, how thrilled they were and it made you realize, wait, this really does matter because yes. you may have people graduate and never tell you. And then you'll have some of these students that will come back and say, like, you changed my life. And yeah. I don't, I don't think we know in the moment, the impact, but you know, it's not just dance. It's like those teachers that, that really can pull those things out of them and nurture them through what childhood is all, all over the place kind of thing. So it has something constant and where there's beauty and they get to be seen for who they are. I just think it's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. And so for anyone who's listening, that's a dance teacher. I hope this is inspirational that what you do really matters. And it's not just the dancing. It's the whole, the whole thing. Yes, so it is. Yeah. I want to thank you again for this. And um, yeah, so I'll let you know when it comes out, but I'll be sharing some of your fabulous pictures. There's one of you in a dip and your legs, basically go up to your armpits and it's kind no. of unusual. <laughs> no, I was like, whoa, my legs are long. <laughs> and you really, they're still just as long. They go from your hip all the way to the floor. So <laughs> apparently, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Natalie, thank you so much for this. I'm really, I'm really glad we got to do it again because I feel like there's even some more fun stories that came out of that, that yes. um, I'm glad everybody will get to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I will see you one day in Paris, maybe. We'll make it a thing. I hope so. I hope so.